0: What will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge.
1: At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow
0: your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can
1: help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it.
2: From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast.
1: woo yay. Oh,
2: you're my mystery woo today. Not such a mystery. No, it's been a while since we've had one of those. So I guess
1: we had, somebody had to woo. Well, yeah, and, and since, since you put that invitation out into the universe, <laughs> it's possible that the mystery woo will come back. It's
2: possible. I can hardly (laughs) wait. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, here we are. Back at it again, Dr. Thompson. Mm Mm-hmm. What episode number is this? I've even lost count. 98.
1: Tom, can you believe this? We're within spitting distance—not that I'd want to spit on it—of three-digit episode number.
2: Wow. We've done this 98 times. That's not even counting sort of bonus content. Right, right. Yeah. There, I know, and sometimes how many times we've recorded that we didn't use, like, the time we were on.
1: It staggers me. It's like, you're like, is that right? We've done it this many times? That's a lot of times. Yeah, the, the, the unfortunate um, blooper reel uh, in the French Quarter. <laughs> Where where that odd fellow just came right up and was in our personal space while we're trying to record. (laughs) Stared at us from about six inches away while we were trying
2: to talk. Yeah, (laughs) it's New Orleans, man.
1: Yes, sir. Up close and personal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love the Big Easy. It's Mm. all
1: part of the charm. Yes. Hope they're doing well there uh, after their recent uh, hurricane encounter again. Again,
2: yeah, so Hurricane Ida has just sort of passed through while we're recording this, so they've definitely been in our thoughts. We, we know what that's like, and they've been mm-hmm. through it a lot lately, including last yeah. year, so God bless them. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, so, Kelvin, mm-hmm. you came in my office and paid a visit, and you poured me a brown ve- beverage mm-hmm. from a thermos. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it is.
1: Well, for those who might not know, we do bill this show as a collegial conversation about online teaching and learning conducted over a shared cup of coffee. So the odds are pretty good that it's coffee, uh, hence it's what this it coffee like. connection. Well, that's yeah, good. I mean, we're the on record. the right track there. Yeah. But if, if you want a more specific explication of your beverage content, I will say that today's coffee, Tom, comes to us from TOPcast listener and colleague. Jared Stein of Instructure. This in your cup is a single-origin Kenya Peaberry from Cafe Ibis Coffee Roasting Company in Logan, Utah. Try to say that correctly because it's C-A-F-F-E, Ibis Coffee Roasting Company. I don't believe we've really discussed uh, pea berry coffees before on the episodes, really. The so-called pea berry is just really a natural mutation of the seed inside the coffee cherry. Instead of two seeds like normal inside that fruit, there's only one. And uh, this mutation results in some different characteristics, especially those that emerge during the coffee roasting process, which can lead to some different results in the final cup. So those factors and the relative rarity of the single seed, which is estimated at somewhere between five and ten percent of all harvested coffee cherries, tend to make peaberry coffees sought after. There's like a supply demand thing. People think it's cool. There's all kind of theories. We'll put some stuff in the show notes if you're interested. Some people think more caffeine. Some people, you know, think ooh, it's this kind of a taste and whatever. I don't know. It's a it's a is a novelty, but it's a it's a natural mutation, which is kind of cool, but. I kind of like it. What do you think of the coffee, and could you find a connection to today's episode?
2: I'll start with the coffee. Mm-hmm. I like the coffee very much, so thank you, Jared. I had the great good fortune to see Jared not that long ago in person mm-hmm. when I was in, in Utah, and he had very nice things to say about the podcast, so thank you, Jared. And then the coffee showed up shortly thereafter, mm-hmm. as, like as, as sometimes want to do. So that was very mm-hmm. generous of him, so mm-hmm. thank you, Jared. Um, now the Connection.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I know what we're talking about today. That helps. And I know what I'm drinking. You could reverse engineer a connection. And I know
1: what you just said. <laughs> I'm just I'm having a hard time connecting <laughs> the dots. Yeah, it might not be. Maybe those dots are uh, too far apart and <laughs> and uh, too too um, uh, faded from. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's a dusky day. I don't know. Maybe it, it's it's hard to find. So let me try to let me try to uh, light up the runway for you a little bit here. Uh, I was thinking uh, mutation, right? There's a natural mutation in the the uh, the seed of the of the coffee cherry, and this idea of there being different inputs leading to different outputs. Um, I was thinking. Um, have a connection to potentially today's topic. Okay. Dif- different, different ways of doing things from, the, from the, the past leading to different experiences and different things that we might want to address due to mutations in the environment. Okay. All right. I think I got it. All right. It's, That's uh, good. Yeah.
2: So, we are in higher ed. Our, our inputs, in many cases, are K-12 students, mm-hmm. and we are responsible for outputting them according to various outcomes, graduation, mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we are going to be talking a bit about the K-12 experience today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, am I in the neighborhood here? Yeah,
1: that's exactly what I was thinking. While we've been talking on this podcast for more than a year now about the impact of emergency ad hoc remote instruction on our higher education work in online teaching and learning, what most of us are very familiar with from the news media is the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on K-12 education. Boy, there's been a lot said about that.
2: Yeah, and I I've, I've talked a lot about that and I I know that the the emergency remote experience for the K12 community hasn't always been fabulous. A lot of the digital divide issues are a lot more pronounced in that community than they are in the higher ed community. Not to say we don't have our issues, but it I think it's much more extreme in the K12 space. So it's been a it's been a rough year and a half especially for for K12. But as, you know, as, as most of us in higher ed emerge from this kind of remote, emergency remote instruction, uh, we are going to have a lot of new first-year students whose experiences and expectations of college-level uh, online and blended courses are gonna be shaped by what they have been going through for the past year and a half, uh, a lot of them negative with uh, pandemic-influenced remote instruction in their high schools. Um, we have on campus, FTICs, first time in college, which is our traditional term for our freshmen coming in out of high school. And we are also having FTOCs, first time on campus. Okay. Those are the uh, sophomores that have spent the last year as a freshman, but never came on campus because of the pandemic, they've been been remote. So we've got these two cohorts of students who are on campus for the first time, both of whom have kind of been immersed in this emergency remote experience from high school or from their first year of college. So we thought it might be good to give some attention in this particular episode um, to how we as online education professionals might help make a smoother transition to successful online learning experiences for these incoming—especially these first-year students, these K-12 students. To that end, Kelvin, mm-hmm. you recently interviewed Ryan Rogers mm-hmm. on this very topic of K-12 remote and online learning experiences. Maybe you can tell us a bit about Ryan.
1: Will do. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Rogers is currently director of student services for Lyman High School within one of our local Central Florida school districts specifically Seminole County Public Schools. And Mr. Rogers has more than 10 years of experience in school counselor roles in Florida and Georgia school districts, and he served for a time as an academic advisor at Valencia College. And notably for those of us in online education, Ryan also spent 11 years with Florida Virtual School in a variety of roles, but ended his time there as director of FLVS Global
2: and for those who we've we've made reference to Florida Virtual School over over the years in our in our top cast recordings but if you're not familiar with FLVS it it really is if not the one of the premier mm-hmm. uh, you know online K through 12 now it sort of started high school um, but mm-hmm. K through 12 virtual um, programs it, it, it really is uh, you know, kind of the, the benchmark for mm-hmm. a lot of what, what happens in the K-12 space. So, I think Ryan is uniquely qualified given his mm-hmm. background to kind of comment on this, especially what he's, what he's dealing with right now and has for the past year and a half in, mm-hmm. in the high school. And Lyman's mm-hmm. a very good high school, and Seminole's mm-hmm. a very good district here in, mm-hmm. in Florida. So before we go through the magic of podcast time travel to your interview with Ryan, is there anything you want to say? Kind of set it up, something to listen for?
1: No, I, I, I think we'll, I think it'll stand on its own, and we'll, we'll take it apart on the, on the back end. Sounds good. Here's your interview with Ryan Rogers. Welcome, Ryan. So good to have you on TopCast today. Thank you for having me. Well, you're quite welcome. So, jumping right into it a bit, now, you know something of the difference between intentional designed online learning experiences and ad hoc emergency remote instruction. You know the difference between those two things, and you know the difference between like K-12 teaching and learning and higher ed teaching and learning. So, just just cutting to the chase a little bit, I wonder, based on your context and what you've observed over the, the past year or so, what advice would you have to our higher ed community as we get a new wave of incoming, first time in college students. As online education professionals, what, what do you want to tell us?
0: Well, yeah, I think that uh, my biggest piece of advice is really just uh, having to re-educate students on what, you know, a successful online or virtual experience is. Um, you know, as you said, there were so many different modalities different ways of doing it um, this past year and and frankly different student experiences um, that uh, many of them were were you know had not experienced really successful online delivery it was really ad hoc uh, at best um, and therefore they really don't know what a good solid virtual experience or online experience is, uh, many of them, quite honestly, are confusing the terminology um, with it. You know, when they say online, well, what do you mean online? Did you take, like, a, you know, prepared virtual course, or did you do the Connect the model that we had, an ad hoc type of thing? Um, So even in my office since then, I've been clarifying a lot, like, what do you mean you did it online? (laughs) What kind of online uh, was it? And, you know, I've I've heard even more and more um, as we've gotten into this school year from students that say, whatever their experience was, uh, if you mention a virtual or online class to do, they say, I don't want to ever do that again. And you and I, yeah, you and I know that being in that industry, like that's not the typical uh, experience that we have and want, um, but they've just been so varied that, you know, it's it's just, uh, it, it turned a lot of them off. So getting back to my advice is really that you, you have to start over again and really educate those students about what it is, how it works, the benefits of it. Uh, so that they're just not immediately turned off when they hear online learning experience.
1: Yeah, that's that's I think really good advice. Um, we've talked before um, on this podcast about just kind of kind of some general kind of waging a campaign of of like accuracy and and uh, resetting expectations and so forth. And I think at the institutional level. Um, even for our own student body, right? To kind of reset, make some, make some sense, um, for sure. I, I wonder if if um, you might speak a little bit more about those kind of student reactions that that you've observed uh, during the last year plus. You mentioned that uh, some students are just like, uh, no, thank you, uh, to anything virtual or online ever again. Um, could you just talk a little bit more about that? like why do you think that is and and is is, is that is that binary is it Is there a range in there, or is it universal like i 'm done
0: well i, I don 't think it 's universal I mean you know we 've had the flip side of that, which we 've had students say, "Hey, this was actually a really good experience for me, <clears throat> excuse me and You know i want to continue doing my classes on virtual school or in an online capacity or or even a blended part of that um you know so we have had that and i had personally students that you know really they were not a stellar student at our school but they went online last year and they were more successful so you know certainly had that i think it's probably been the exception rather than the rule i've certainly heard more of Yeah, I don't want to do that again. Um, You know, in general, kids have been really excited to be back face-to-face to to do that. So, you know, it it certainly hasn't been across the board, but it's certainly, uh, you know, probably the majority of that. Um, And again, I think a lot of it just comes down to... Um, The ad hoc nature of some of it, just putting together very quickly, Um, you know, we had teachers that had never even taught virtual before um, that were thrust into it, uh, even teaching subjects that they'd never taught before. Um, so, you know, I think that was a part of it as well. But, um, you know, it's it's been interesting. We've certainly had, I've had a lot of conversation with students. Uh, I think last time you and I spoke that day, I had a conversation with a student that said, yeah, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, you know, I, I think part of that is, like, listen, when I worked at, You know, I worked 11 years in the virtual industry at Florida Virtual School and, and, you know, for the most part, those students uh, elected or chose to to take it in this modality, right? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. same at the collegiate level. There are you know kids can choose i want to do this in a face to face or i want to do this online so right out of the gate you're getting kids that are electing to do that that are probably going to be more understanding of what it is more open to it etc and you know i think the big difference with us was that the you know 99% of the population that did it didn't choose that you know, or I should say they chose it for, you know, other motives, right, because of COVID and the fear of, of COVID, justifiably so, um, rather than, hey, I want to try an online experience. Right? So mm-hmm. more than before, like we saw students that we just sat there and goes, Oh my gosh, this student has no business doing that. You know they already struggled with face to face and and you know are not up to par whether it 's with reading or math or not on grade level. you know um, how are they going to do that you know in that environment and nothing you know again i 'm a proponent of online that can help those students but these aren't the students that were, you know, really diligent about their schoolwork anyways, right? So, um, you know, to be able to, to do that online uh, and be self-motivated, and, you know, time management and all that. So I think that's the biggest challenge that I saw was that these were students that, unlike our experience in the past, made that choice and elected to do it. A lot of these kids, you know, did it for other reasons, and therefore, it, you know, they just weren't bought in 100%.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. That uh, I didn't sign up for this, and so you're already in the sub basement in terms of working your way up to um, even tolerable, I suppose. Right? You sort of you know start off with a negative uh, reaction expectation, and then I heard you say that in um, in at least some cases, if not a lot of cases, the teachers weren't prepared to teach in uh, the relevant modalities, like they didn't have experience with it or formal preparation, uh, first-hand experience, they're just thrust into it. And even, I think I heard you say, maybe not even the subject areas. <laughs> so, those are, those are some real major variables that would impact um, student experiences as well. And then on top of that, uh, design. Was there intentional design to the course or was it—maybe maybe in some cases you're being handed a course that somebody else designed and, and it actually is cohesive. That would maybe be a step in the right direction, but I'm guessing in some, in some cases you probably
0: didn't even have that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, you know, with all the different modalities we had, you know, I mean, just speaking from a, you know, virtual course perspective, we have Seminole County Virtual School that is a franchise of Florida Virtual School. So these teachers were handed, you know, quality designed courses by Florida Virtual School. But a lot of our teachers that, you know, went to teach virtual, you know, basically were applied, you know, for um, accommodations and therefore they were allowed to do virtual. But, you know, I, we had, I mean, I know they took several of our teachers. I had a science teacher teaching a leadership course. We had a robotics teacher teaching a science course. You know, so they were, you know, they were new to the, even though it was already built for them, they were new to the curriculum. But as you and I know, and having worked for Florida Virtual and actually helped train teachers, gosh, we even hired teachers that, you know, were seasoned English teachers that, felt like a brand new teacher teaching a virtual course so even just knowing the content uh you know teaching in that in that environment is just completely different for them so um you know and, and gosh we used to do training for days and days and really ease them in this was a matter of you know of of like this, you know, in some cases even after school started, um, not to mention the, the, you know, the kind of, um, you know, synchronous at, you know, Seminole Connect option, which is, uh, you know, teachers were essentially uh, given, uh, you know, maybe a week to figure that out, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, it was everybody did the best they could, but it, it certainly wasn't ideal circumstances, that's for sure.
1: I want to pull on the thread of something you said a few minutes ago. I heard you say synchronous and I heard you say connect. Can you just kind of describe how that worked a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that was the, the that was the real new uh, thing. We've always had, you know, some kind virtual with the the asynchronous, you know, as you said, deliberately designed courses, obviously this through like we talked about teachers in that haven't done it etc but and growth oh my gosh growth beyond you know belief but the part that was new it was new to me i would never done it it was new to our teachers and our district was what we called seminal connect and this was really our you know synchronous you know online you know delivery model uh, what that really consisted of was um, you know at you know, at most schools, including at my school, uh, Lyman High School, was a teacher teaching a face-to-face class with students in front of them, and at the same time, on camera, teaching students that were at home coming in via WebEx. Um, you know, that that was what it was and it was uh, extremely challenging uh, I, I you know my wife is also a teacher in Seminole County so she experienced that firsthand um, and as you can imagine you know what it's like to try to um, teach kids that are sitting here face to face and give them the attention they need but then you've got to be looking at your computer and looking at who's at home and trying to make sure they're engaged mm-hmm. um, you know all those lesson plans that they've called on for for years kind of out the window to as they have to figure out new and creative ways to make sure those students are engaged um, and you know and just logistically I mean uh, the, the technology obviously had to be in place if something happened and somebody dropped off you know uh, a lot of times they couldn't get right back in the teacher would have to recognize they were off and let them back in and there were you know different things like that. Um, you know, so, and, and, you know, it was it was a challenge, and teachers had to try to adjust, and let's just be honest, I mean, some teachers did better with it than others, um, and so, you know, there are certainly questions about, you know, uh, how much some of those students got from their learning from, from doing that, um, uh, you know. And let's not even mention the fact that students were allowed to change modalities you know if they were face-to-face they could go to connect at any time that they felt uncomfortable so we literally had students dropping you know so teachers had kids moving one day they're in face-to-face the next day they show up on their camera on WebEx kind of thing so Mm -hmm. um, you know it's it's um, it was definitely a challenge in a lot of different aspects if a teacher was absent the sub didn't know how to get into their WebEx room, so the kids at home mm-hmm. had no way of getting an education at that point that day, right? Yeah. So um, there, there were just so many challenges. You know, I think it's one of the reasons why. You know, I know Seminole County voted to not, you know, not pursue that model anymore going forward, at least in Seminole County. Uh, I know the teachers it put a huge strain on them to try to do both, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know that was yeah, it was. It was interesting, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> well, as we begin to wrap up, um, I wonder if you might comment a little bit more broadly, Ryan, uh, given your time at uh, a, I, I guess it's, it sounds a little bit ostentatious, but kind of a legendary virtual school context. You were at Florida Virtual School for more than 10 years. The, the virtual school K-12 model is a little different, right, than our higher ed uh, online teaching and learning model. And I just wonder from your time there and your own personal experience, is there anything you would say just about just general advice apart from like the COVID reaction and all that? Anything that, that folks in our higher ed field could, could be a little bit more mindful of in making the transition smoother to students who've had uh, prior K-12 virtual school experiences?
0: You know, I I think my advice is, you know, one of the things that we try to do at Florida Virtual School, and we try to do that here even at Lyman High School, is, you know, kids like consistency, and I think that Mm -hmm. um, whether it be consistency in platforms or consistency in structure of courses, um, you know, it's, it's nice when they're taking multiple courses to be able to know. Um, you know, we, we even at one time, I mean, you know, we had different design methodologies at Florida Virtual and realized that, you know, to navigate this course was different than navigating this course and so on and so forth. And, you know, that sometimes was a barrier for students. So, you know, some of those kind of consistency, I think helps. Um, but I think, you know, getting back to these, this other thing, which is that, you know, um, uh, My fear, right, is in the K-12 space that these students that have been through this experience hear that this is more kind of, you know, a teacher-driven process might flash back to the Seminole Connects and and Mm -hmm. think that that is the experience that they're going to have. Um, So, you know, again, that comes back to that education piece, you know, of it. Um, And encouraging students to, you know, uh, we talked about marketing too, right? Encouraging students to give it another try. Like it's a different, it is different, right? And showing them how it's different. Um, I think will will be a, a big thing. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, in summary, I mean, that's, that's always typically been kind of the difference between K-12 and, uh, and you know, um, uh, post-secondary, uh, you know, online learning and, and, you know, there's merit to both models. They work well in, in both, in, you know, both cases. And I think in some ways, you, you know, you have different students, uh, you know, as well um, mm-hmm. and their their level of engagement.
1: Well that's a great place to to leave it. I just want to say thank you again for sharing your on the ground perspective and your expertise Ryan it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today
0: thank you I enjoyed it thank you for having me so Kelvin, that was
2: your interview with with ryan rogers
1: yeah that's that's right I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting like you said unique um, perspective there well qualified to to render some uh, some insightful comments, I thought. I'll I'll say that, you know, we often comment that our top cast audience sort of has three strands, right? Online and blended faculty, instructional designers, administrative leaders, and I'm of the opinion that the stuff that Ryan said really can be acted upon by any one of those groups, all of those groups. So, hopefully, everybody found something in there.
2: I agree. Yeah, he sort of touched on kind of all, all of those different parts of the elephant, and uh, and I think that, that there's a lot that no matter what your role is, you could take away from, from listening mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything in particular
1: you wanted to maybe reflect on? Hmm. Well, I, I think there's a, there's a lot we could say, but maybe, maybe we jump right into some concrete applications a bit. I, I think that uh, we could right, at the institutional level. uh, We haven't really done this here yet, but we could uh, consider reviewing and revising existing orientation and or onboarding training materials for students in light of some of those comments that Ryan made about the the recent K-12 experience. It's tough to balance, right, because you don't want to make sweeping changes that are only going to have like a, a short lifespan, but we could certainly take a good look. Through the lens of his comments and go well, maybe we should, you know, add a little emphasis here. We have in the past talked about um, kind of disabusing incoming first year students of prior uh, K twelve virtual school experiences. It's not the same, um, and then we might consider waging a little mini campaign, maybe for uh, these new first year students, emphasizing the distinct differences of online and blended and higher ed. We could consider that. Um, there's, you know, there's um, uh, kind of cost and benefit to think about there, right? Uh, but then at the course and faculty level, I think there are things that instructional designers and faculty could do. I mean, even even just as a, as a line faculty member, just expressing even awareness of that. Hey, you know, I know many, many first-year students take this course. If you're coming in uh, directly from high school, you might have had a very different experience than… You know, I mean, you could just make a comment like that, or put some syllabus language in place, you know, kind of making a little delineation between higher ed, online and blended, differentiating from high school. I mean, those are little things that could make a difference.
2: Yeah, I agree. And you're right. It is Because we do have so many students in the state of Florida that have gone through Florida Virtual School or, or others. The state of Florida has a requirement. If you graduate from a public high school, you have to have taken at least one online class and many students do more than one. And, and typically, that's through the Florida Virtual School, although mm-hmm.
1: not always. Or one of the franchisees thereof. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there are also some other competitors, but they're by far the dominant player in the in the space. Um, it's an issue that we've long kind of grappled with because the the way it's taught, the way online learning is taught in the K-12 space is different than it is here. Um, there, there are a lot more safety nets, the teacher talks to your parents, they make sure you stay up with your homework, they give you reminders. And If that's your model, your paradigm for <laughs> online learning, when, when I always joke, we have a particular political science professor… I see,
1: I see exactly where you're going.
2: <laughs> yeah, who teaches American <laughs> national government and might have, I don't know, 150 to 300 students in that class. Um, <laughs> and you know who I'm talking about. He's I not do. calling you no, to make sure not. you're doing your homework, nor should he. This, no. It's, it's grown-up school now, and <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the students need to, need to reset their expectations. I think coming out of the pandemic and all the stuff that Ryan talked about has just exacerbated yeah. that, that gap, that delta, between what the emergency remote instruction was, and if you show up in an in a intentionally designed online asynchronous course here— it's it's a totally different experience. Yeah. and we need to to be able to help students crosswalk from that yeah. previous experience to what the new expectation level is uh, coming into a university environment.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's well observed and, and he didn't really comment on this per se and and I like to think this is true. <laughs> so you, you you keep me honest here, but I think it's fair generally speaking to say that the learner experience in most k-12 intentionally designed virtual school courses is more of an individualized experience than the experience of learners in most higher ed online courses I mean gosh especially especially in the early days we very explicitly embraced uh, social constructivism and and you know in the power of kind of the the cohort and the group dynamic and all that so that' That's a little different than you know it's just it's just my my teacher and me, you know yeah. it sometimes seems in k12 virtual school
2: yeah, that's true. that is the experience that at least I witnessed with my own child when he was going mm-hmm. through that, and uh, from what I've heard um, and and some of that is is sort of a workload management for the teachers so they can kind of keep up with stuff and I understand um, I'm not criticizing that model, but it's just different, yeah yeah. All right, Kelvin. So uh-huh. I'm I'm looking at the grounds in my coffee and the and the clock ticking.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: wonder um, maybe uh, maybe we should try to land the plane. Any last comments before we go to the bottom line?
1: I think the only thing I would say um, before that is, um, while being mindful of the experience of these incoming students is a good thing, that doesn't mean that we. Overhaul everything and cater to their lowest expectations. Yeah, I think we continue to hold uh, a higher bar for online course quality. <laughs> we can be we can be sensitive without throwing everything out the window. Uh,
2: a, a former boss of mine here, who you know well, used to say um, that a higher ed is is in the strange position of being you know one of the only. Businesses, if you will, uh, you know, air quotes businesses Mm -hmm. that um, you you can give the paying customer less than what they're paying for, and they're happy. I
1: know,
2: like canceling classes, students are like, good. That's right. But you're paying for that, yeah. No, but good. I don't want I don't want as much as I'm paying for. I want less. So yeah, don't always (laughs) give the customer what they want, right? Because it's not what they need. (laughs) That's that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. So, Kelvin, mm-hmm. um, while there are a lot of similarities between higher ed and K-12, and, and Ryan touched on some of these, mm-hmm, certainly mm-hmm, it's been mm-hmm. our experience with remote instruction mm-hmm. over the past year and a half, mm-hmm. the unique experience of K-12 students are, are still really important for us in online higher ed to stay aware of. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, these K-12 students, many of them, are going to become College and university students, mm-hmm. and we ignore their perspective at our own peril. We need to understand yeah. Yeah. what they've gone through and kind of help them to make that transition into, into uh, post secondary education.
1: Here, here. Yeah, I totally agree. You're on the, you're, you're, you've touched down securely all three <laughs> uh, points on the runway. I, I didn't even, I didn't even find myself lurching in my seat. Please wait till we are at the jetway before you get up, though. Please. No more Jason Bourne jumping across. <laughs> no. And, uh, no. Okay, no your good. items may have shifted. Oh, well, that's good to know. Uh, we have time for a really quick plug if I keep mm-hmm. it real quick. So this is just a little reminder of the TOPcast listener survey. This is primarily a one-question survey. Where else are you going to get one question? Although, there is an option to share more if you are so inclined. Here is that URL again. It is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash TopCastSurvey2021. All lowercase, no spaces, bit.ly slash TopCastSurvey2021. Given the nature of podcasting, we're going to plug this over several episodes to make sure everyone is, uh, we'll say, sufficiently invited. Again, that URL is bit.ly slash topcastsurvey2021, and we'll put a link back in the show notes page as well.
2: And we thank you in advance for your input. It
1: it helps us help you. So help us help you. Help us help you. That's right. So, Kelvin, Mm -hmm.
2: thank you, uh, Jared, for the coffee. It was delish. Thank you to Ryan for the insights. Mm -hmm. Until next time... For TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.